Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we are having a listen to the Rainbow Children. Oh boy, this is a big step in a new direction after spending weeks on 1999 SDE, which stands for Super Deluxe Edition, not Social Distancing Edition. <laughs> yes, because we don't have to social distance between the two of us because we live in the same house. We are co-quarantined. That's right. So we're social distancing from everyone else. Everyone but us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it's been a while since we've listened to a freestanding Prince studio album from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I guess the last time we did was uh, whatever we ended, the 1994-1995 epic cluster of episodes uh-huh. with yeah it's been a while it's been a long time yeah we're choosing the rainbow children to kick us off it was prince's 24th studio album mm-hmm. and his first physical release since returning to the name prince after changing his name to the artist formerly known as prince mm-hmm. the symbol yep. yes outside that is of the somewhat silly raven to the joy fantastic album released by the artist formerly known as Prince and produced by Prince, mm-hmm. which was the I'm starting to let this persona back into my life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What else can we say about this album before we get into the meat of the music? It was released to the NPG Music Club as a download on October 16th, 2001, and then had its retail release on November 20th, 2001. So club members got it a little early. We were one of those. Yep. It took <laughs> like four an, hours to download, yeah. I want to say, something like that. I remember... Uh, setting our computer to download it and going to bed and hoping it finished. Yes. Because it was a one big single track. It was not a tracked thing. Right. Which I'm sure was meant to prevent sharing or mm-hmm. help to curtail sharing of the album. Yes. It reached 109 on the Billboard Top 200, 33 on the R&B Hip Hop mm-hmm. Billboard chart, yep. and number four on the Independent Albums chart because it was released through a Minneapolis-based and now defunct independent distributor called Redline Entertainment, which was owned by Best Buy. Yep. Uh, Best Buy's headquarters were there in Minneapolis, I believe Target too, so Prince had mm-hmm. you know like local opportunities to do distribution deals with both of those outlets, which he did. Yes. Shall we talk about the album artwork a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's real pretty. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's on display in Paisley Park still. We Mm -hmm. saw it in a tour in the MPG Music Club room. Yes, and there's a picture of five women all playing music together, and each of the individual women ends up dispersed throughout the booklet. Yeah, it's like they took that one piece of art and broke it up into different pieces to use throughout the... Lyric sheet. I hadn't looked at this booklet in forever. It's actually very pretty. It is pretty. It's very it fun. It maybe uses a couple too many fonts, but it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, and mm-hmm. it's really very well done. It's very artistic, and mm-hmm. I think fits with the tone of the album, just like the overall artwork does. Yes. It was the booklet and packaging itself was designed by a man named Jeremy Gavin. Um, He designed this and then was later the art director for Paisley Park from 2003 to 2007. 
Um, and after that, he founded a company called ScreenFeed, which mm. provides digital signage content. And he continued a working relationship with Prince even after he was no longer the art director there. But the artwork itself, yeah, which you mentioned, yeah. yeah. Um, in 1998, Prince played a New Power Soul show in Collinsville, Illinois, which was is not particularly far from St. Louis. And, oh, so Southern Illinois. Yeah. And a, an artist was asked to loan some art to a installation and Prince didn't make it to this installation himself, but people from Prince's camp went and videoed all of the art that was there. Mm -hmm. Three pieces sold right away, presumably to Prince. Um, And the artist who did the work, his name, uh, his birth name was Clifford Miskell, but he had also gone through a name transformation, much like Prince. Mm -hmm. And he had changed his name to, Kababi Bayak. Yeah, spell it's like C apostrophe B. Yes, C B A B I. And it's an acronym for Creative Black Artist Battling Ignorance. And his last name, Bayak, B A Y O C, stands for Blessed African Youth of Creativity. So you can see. How, why, and how Prince was attracted not only to the artwork, but the person behind the artwork. It was very uh, much fitting with this album, mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. And so about two years after all of that happened, mm-hmm. Prince's people got in touch with Kababi. He sent photos of several completed works to Prince, and Prince chose uh, Rene Keese Quartet for this cover art, which Kababi had done at the impetus of his wife she had said you need you you paint too many men paint some oh, women do more women okay do more women and that's that. why he painted this particular image mm-hmm. and that's the one that prince chose cool yeah very cool and the cover of the album is actually a photo of the artwork with prince kind of peeking around the side of it uh-huh. so you kind of get the scale of this thing it is it's quite uh, large probably a six to seven foot tall painting mm-hmm. based on prince's size or maybe five to six feet yeah tall. yeah he's peeking around the edge of it so on the spine of the the packaging yeah the digit pack see, is what we have yeah you'll see a little prince's little face yeah with his handsome green sweater and some medallion that he's wearing mm-hmm. yep yeah and then the artwork is repeated on the back cover and then also each of the women who's playing an instrument is kind of broken up like we said kind of pathed out of the artwork used on individual pages of the lyric sheet inside. And I assume it was the same artist that did the kind of portrait of Prince. I haven't been able to find a lot of information about that, but there's a caricaturish kind of portrait of him on the CD itself. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks a little angry or a little sad. Uh, he's, I don't know. He's definitely, he's very yeah, serious, serious. Sure. It's hard to tell. He's kind of like, He's very stretched out of proportion, too. Uh-huh. His head is, like, super tall and skinny, and his bangs go down to his mouth past his nose. But it's all well done. I thought yeah, artistically the packaging for this thing was really well done and fits the musical, I don't know, tone or sound or approach really, really well, too. It's got a very organic feel to the music on the album and to the artwork that's done. It has a very It's not, not a very digital-looking kind of thing. It looks very crafted yes 
one of the reasons we chose to uh, pursue the Rainbow Children next here is because um, it was supposed to be released, re-released on Friday, April 17th um, on CD and vinyl. Now that's been moved to May 27th, 2020 because of all of the economic and uh, social disruption that the COVID-19 virus is causing. So hopefully it makes its return on May 27th. That to me kind of seems like that might be wishful thinking too. But it struck me also that fortunately or unfortunately, this album's release both times, original and reissue, are going to forever be associated with two of the biggest national crises in America and the world that you and I can remember in our lifetimes. The first being terror attacks on America on September 11th, 2001, which affected the original release of this album. And it was Prince's first, you know, statement after that crisis. It was not a reaction to it because the music had already been recorded, but it was his first release. And I very much remember associating it with that somber times. And yeah, um, the sound of this album just kind of was the soundtrack for that period, three year yes. period. It almost seemed like, and here we are, on the verge of releasing it again, uh-huh. and we're in this very confusing, troubling, unknown moment in time, and this album has cropped up its head again. Yeah, it's almost doesn't feel like a coincidence. It does not. It's almost like this album is meant to be associated with troubling times in one way or another, not in a bad way or a good way, and in, in different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just is going to always be associated with these kinds of things like man i don't know when the next tragedy is going to strike but it'll probably probably been be when i hit shuffle in my apple music and <laughs> the rainbow children comes pops on. up <laughs> yes um since it's being reissued here imminently i guess you could say you know whenever it can be the estates uh website has a description of it which obviously was not written by prince but kind of the estates summation of it and it reads i picked out a sentence that i thought kind of summed it up well the rainbow children is a concept album intertwining prince's recurring themes of spirituality and sexuality love and social consciousness set in a metaphoric utopian narrative so if you're looking for the official cliff notes for huh. this album. I don't know if utopia is go. the word that I would. Well, it's someone's utopia. Prince's <laughs> utopia. It doesn't say it's for everyone. <laughs> but I thought that was an interesting summation of it. Yeah, um, it is. It is. We have, it's primarily a solo recording by Prince. John Blackwell provides drums on most tracks, and this is his first appearance on an official Prince release. Yeah, and he would be a staple of Prince's live and studio sound for a number of years mm-hmm. after this. Yes. There were also appearances by Larry Graham, the Hornheads, Najee contributed instrumentational support on various tracks. Right. Femi Jaya, Mr. Hayes, Kit Blackshire, and the girl group... And Millennia. Millennia. Yep. Yeah. Provide background and spoken vocals. Yeah. I remember hearing about Femi Gia's return. He had been an engineer for Prince during the Batman soundtrack Mm -hmm. and had done a lot of remixes, did a lot of work on Party Man, the remix, which I totally loved and even had some appearances on music as well. Um, so I was excited to see, oh, this person is back, this uh, mysterious, who is this? Mm-hmm. When you first read Femi, I thought woman. You yeah. Know, it's almost like Claire Fisher. You yeah. think, oh, Claire, that must be a woman. No, they're both men. Yeah. 
So are we ready for a new segment on the show? <laughs> uh-huh. This is uh, completely my idea. So if it sucks, then I get all of the credit. You get... Uh, you. But- you can take all of the credit or all of the blame. I'm sure it won't fine. suck. All right, fine. This album just struck me again, revisiting it in a way that I thought, you know, to start to put my thoughts together on this thing, it helped me to write down words, single words that I would associate with the album. So, new segment for Josh and Christie on the Mountains and the Sea. We're calling it The Word. So here are my list of uh, just a group of single words that I jotted down to describe this album. Christy wondered, well, should it just be five words? I'm like, no. It can be any number of words you want. So I have a handful. Okay. All right. So none of these sum it up in total, but they are words that I would use to describe the album. Those being, number one, organic, Mm. warm, spiritual, personal, sprawling, crafted, confounding... (laughs) And misled. Oh, ooh, misled. Yeah. Ooh, so that's a little hint into some of the thoughts that Josh is going to have. Of You're exactly right. That's where my notes began with those eight words. Okay. Mostly, well, some positive, some just describing the sound of the album, and then a little bit of reaction to the message that's mm. uh, both very clear and also very buried in this thing. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. All right. So the music. Well, we'll start with the title track. Yeah. Um, the Rainbow Children or Rainbow although, Children. Yes, it it's loses not... the article there. Yes, the, it does. So it's, it's just Rainbow, Rainbow Children. Children. Yeah. Can we also say up front that this is probably the biggest change in sound and approach from one Prince album to another in his entire career? If you consider how yeah. generally superficial rave into the joy fantastic was when it was released and how it was kind of made a little meaningless by too much effort put into making it a hit album. And here with the rainbow children, we get a kind of heady and reclusive musical triumph and lyrically a head scratcher. There was, there was nothing lyrically challenging about his previous album, Rave into the joy fantastic. Right. And almost everything here, starting with the very first words of this title track is both lyrically smart and also infuriating at the same time. And sometimes completely unintelligible. Yeah, that's fair. So I just wanted, let's just get that out of the way too. That's the final word. Okay. With Josh. Unintelligible? Yes. At okay. times. At times. At times. I don't want to label the whole thing as unintelligible no, because there I are think... definitely things I can understand. And I do think it took a lot, a level of intelligence to craft this thing. But some of it is almost impossible to unravel and deep into the reclusive mind and era of Prince Rogers Nelson. Well, and I think a lot of it too is that... There are things we know now that we didn't know when this came out about how much contention there was over his and my taste force, things like that. Things that didn't really, you thought of it as just a story. And now looking back, having read my taste, my taste book and understanding a little bit more about that situation, you really see how pointed it is. And it, it, 
makes it a little darker. Yeah, there's definitely roots here that go deep into the truth of what was going on and their separation and the tragedy of losing their child and then all of this, their entire relationship unraveling is really kind of spelled out here in plain sight. Well, and it's it's typical Prince fashion spelled out yes. as... Yes, from one perspective. He's, he's a victim. I, I think that that's a myopic view at best yeah well i mean he was you know he did not have a large group of friends around him to say or challenge his thinking he either had people who were yes sir people Uh uh-huh or he had people who were mentors who led him into right he was very kind of an open soul i guess you could say so was therefore low-hanging fruit for someone to come along and say hey, here's the way, and it was yeah. easy for him to... Latch onto it. Yeah, to, mm. to find something to believe in and that that was the crux of his reality then. Yeah. I guess that's Which, that's the most... It was really like a snapshot. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with the title track, a sprawling 10-minute and 3-second intro, we get Prince introducing the story to us, not dissimilar... From the 1999 introduction, which we just covered in depth with Super Deluxe Edition of 1999, he's got an altered voice introducing the story to us. Yeah. Right? The accurate understanding of God and His law, they went about the work of building a new nation. Well, you know, the original 1999 intro, Don't Worry, I Won't Hurt You, was sig- signaling the start of an apocalyptic party and with the rainbow children we get a voice intro that's similar but more somber and more storytelling and clearly about god as god gets name checked in the first two lines of this thing you know this is going to be a spiritual record right musically very jazzy pretty this one i much prefer listening on a stereo rather than in headphones. Oh, really? Yeah, because it does a lot of the tracks, uh-huh. starting with Rainbow Children, does that bouncing back and forth thing Yeah, that makes me dizzy. Huh. Like, I, if you're going to move back and forth between the stereo channels, I prefer a slide, uh-huh. because that doesn't make me dizzy, but the bouncing back and forth, where it's a note in the left, a note in the right, a note in the left, a note in the right, makes me dizzy. My eyes are trying to follow it, and it's not something I can control. (laughs) Yeah. You're supposed to listen to the music, not look at it. uh, (laughs) Yes, I know what you're saying. (laughs) To me, this was less... uh, It's the beginning of certain tracks that have that... um, You know, like the beginning of track two has that kind of vibrato thing going left and right. But it does have a very organic feel. It is not a super overproduced album, or if it... There was a lot of production spent on it. It was done with a gentle touch that mm-hmm. his previous album, I would say albums, lacked. Right. There was not a lot of, I mean, this is like, this feels almost like live studio recordings, mm-hmm. you know, throughout. Yes. As I went looking up the lyrics for the Rainbow Children, I, d- I did not have the booklet with me, but, um, you know, we get the intro with the accurate understanding of God and his law. They went about the work of building a new nation, the Rainbow Children. Then there's a second second part of the lyrics that are missing on every online lyric site that I went to about 
the wise one who understood the law that was handed down from God long ago. Wise one who understood the law that was handed down from God long ago. It's not part, there's like a whole paragraph of narration that's not on any lyric site whatsoever. Huh. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't. I'll have to... I'll it's have to in correct the booklet. that. It's okay. in the booklet, but it's not on four different lyric sites that I went to. Really? Missed it completely. Okay, I'll have to. Yeah. I didn't notice that. So. Yeah. So I guess yeah. we should get to the hard part here, oh, which is okay. kind of examining. Um, first of all, would you agree Prince is the wise one? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's one thing. The more I dug into this, the more I thought, okay. Uh, I don't know that even Jesus called himself the wise uh, one. No. It, there was a level of humbleness there that made him who he was. He rode into town on a donkey, right? Yeah. So Prince sets him up here from the be- sets himself up from the beginning as the righteous one, the one who does things correctly and mm. understands the law and not only upholds it, abides by it, but also passes it down to other people, including his woman, quote unquote. Yes. Okay. So here in the first verse, it's very patriarchal. There's no denying that. But that said, reflected the true meaning to his woman every day. Yep. Like he's passing it on. Reflected the true meaning to his woman. Yeah, either through talking or by the way he goes about life, right? Right. It's how he reflects it onto people. And I think that this is a reference to Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives. Yeah. I've just been studying this with my Bible study group, and the whole context of that, now I don't know how much Prince got into that, but the whole context of that was follow the Roman law, which was very patriarchal. Women obey your husbands. Yeah. But this is what was different. Husbands love your wives. Mm -hmm. That was never something that was prescribed by Roman law. And it was a way of actually subverting Roman law while still following the letter of it. Okay. So it's, you can still have slaves but respect your slaves and treat them as equals. Okay. And that's subverting the Roman law. You're following the letter of it, but the spirit of it is turned on its head and shown to be unjust because you're treating one another with respect. The, the, the level of respect is what makes it okay? It, it, it didn't necessarily make it okay. It was following the law that set by Romans, but showing how unjust and terrible it was by giving respect to people who did not, who were not afforded that under Roman law. Okay. So I don't know that Prince was paying attention to that, but most of the time when you see, you know, husbands love your wives, that's a middle finger basically to Roman law and Mm -hmm. a way of, subverting it and serving God and people rather while still technically obeying the law. Yeah. Well, definitely the idea of subjection is plain and clear here where he says that uh, she trusted he would lead in the right way. So she's basically 
subjective to him, mm-hmm. but then it's also spelled out her children in subjection to her, she yeah. in subjection to the wise one being Prince, the wise one in subjection to the only true God. like this level of hierarchy here here that I think gets redeemed in parts a little bit later in the album, but as an, as an opening statement, I mean, we've been to church services, the two of us, where this has been made clear that this is God's intention, that God, men, women, children, in that order, it's like the opposite way that you would abandon a boat that was sinking. Right. And it's, it's interesting because all of this, when it's put forth in the Bible, if you read it in historical context, the way it's being pushed here and the way it is typically uh, presented at churches is following Roman law to the letter of Roman law with the spirit of Roman law. And that was never the intention of these verses. It was follow the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it. Yeah. Well, it was also, like I said, we've sat in church services where this was presented to us and then, but yes. wait, 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 but wait, let's not take this literally because it does not mean this, but it's it all, but, yeah, but follow it. Yeah. That's kind of how I've, it's always been presented to me. So, um, it's not the first time that you or I have heard this and it's not an idea coming straight from Prince. This is a little bit of regurgitation, I oh, think, coming from absolutely. Uh, Bible study and um, you know the faith he was pursuing at right. the time. Yes. He mentions the new translation. Yes. Fly on the wings of the new translation. That is a reference to the translation of the Bible that the Jehovah's Witnesses use, the New World Translation. Right, right. It's their official text. Yep, yep. Um, you're talking about the chorus, too, which is the first time we hear singing on this song, mm-hmm. which I just want to say there is a little bit of vocal effect on the chorus. It's kind of swirly and has this kind of almost underwater feel yeah. that I thought was really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get to the point where you can unplug your uh, descent from what's being said up front or your disagreement and listen to the music and uh, how the vocals are delivered, it's gorgeous. Yes. Totally beautiful. Yes, it's a beautiful song. It's frustrating to me. I have to like listen to it and just kind of like bebop along and not think too hard about it because this is, this is, putting my God in a box that I don't care for. Sure. And well, um, I didn't feel quite that way about the chorus. I definitely felt that way about the narration. Yeah, um, agreed. Like, I didn't have as big of a problem with things like the covenant will be kept this time, which to me is almost a reference to the promise made in marriage. Number one, he's not going to make, or mm-hmm. I, I, I won't say he's not going to make, the same kinds of mistakes because I don't know that he ever admitted making a mistake. Uh, it'll be different this time, I guess is what he's saying. Right? For a, for a time. Right. Yeah. Right. There are really cool 
guitar parts that sit on top of that chorus at like two minutes and nine seconds when mm-hmm. he's singing Rainbow Children, It's Time to Rise. And you can hear him kind of like getting ready on the guitar even or just moving his hands up and down the, the mm-hmm. neck of the guitar that's yeah. on record and it sounds really great. So, my thoughts on this. You don't really have to agree with what Prince is saying here to appreciate this. It's good to think of it as a snapshot. He is working stuff out. And how did Prince work stuff out? He did it through through music. music. You know, I do it by examining things with my Bible study group, reading books, watching videos, different things like that. This is how Prince dealt with this. He did Bible study, yes, but when he went, he was trying to work through it all, he went and made music. So if you can try and appreciate it as this was Prince working through some stuff, and some of these things remained a part of his value system and beliefs, some of them did not. That's true. There was a lot of change going on. And I think it also shows some level of guilt or some level of wanting to understand what went wrong or how things went astray by delving deep into making a recording like this. Mm -hmm. So although he doesn't personally admit to many wrongdoings (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the lyrics of any of this or in any song, really, where fault is placed on others... The fact that he would take such a deep dive into making, like it or not, very complex music, very complex lyrics, like you said, shows that he's at least trying to work it out in his head, whether it be to ultimately justify himself as guilt-free or trying to figure out, oh, well, yeah, I did do these wrong, but I can sing about these other things instead. Mm-hmm. Right. There's some sorting going through here. The Prince sorting hat is on. Yeah. It's like putting <laughs> things in one corner and putting other things in another, and he's trying to figure out what to focus on to make an album like this. Yeah. We talk a lot about moments in Prince songs when he's playing an instrument and sings along with it. Mm-hmm. And he does that at four minutes and 20 seconds where um, it's a chorus, but he's kind of boo-boo, boo-doo-ba-doo-bing behind uh, his guitar and the singing of the chorus, which I thought was great. It's frustrating. There's so many cool things to like about the song. And then there's things to just just really like, oh, you're wrong, Prince. Because, you know, held fast to his belief that the Lord would bring him another one who loved him so. So he abandoned the... His first wife entirely and waits for a worthier mate. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Because of he's, this, yeah, he's uh, less a wise one than he thinks he is. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wisdom, kind of blind wisdom, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Can okay. I want to try to point out some things in this song that I thought were actually made sense, okay. and I labeled them as good questions, Prince. Starting at four minutes and thirty nine seconds. Who is your real father, the everlasting one, the one who came from nothing, and yet from this one, everything comes? Who is your real father, the everlasting one, the one who came from nothing, and yet from this one, everything comes? 
beautiful description of this incomprehensible God yes. that many of us believe is uh, our creator and savior. I thought that was beautiful. I could see that being used um, in almost any church service anywhere. These are things that anyone who's got a spirituality about them could say, yeah, you're right. That is, what a great question. How can there be one being that has been there forever and has created everything? That's almost incomprehensible. It's like trying to understand the national debt. It's above (laughs) human intellect, right? Um, And then he gets even kind of funny with it, I thought. The one who commands your mama with the simple phrase, I am. Mm -hmm. And every time that she obeys, she gives birth to the son of man. I don't think he's just speaking about women being lesser than men in that point. He's just saying that, like God, mothers give birth. And every time that they even just obey the word of God... Um, they give birth to the Son of Man, who is God right. or Jesus. Yeah, I thought that, that there was a moment there where I was like, now you're drifting back into more understandable, less personal, more global concepts about religion and spirituality that make sense to people. Mm-hmm. This has been One Minute of Common Sense with Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> um, towards the end, some of the... The music kind of uh, reminded me a little bit of what we'd hear later on Lotus Flower. Oh, yes. There are moments later on that I've got in my notes, actually. They're like, this little segment of the song could be right in the middle of Lotus Flower. It's very much like this, which is interesting because there are really no common musicians outside of Prince and Mm -hmm. it's almost you know from a recording standpoint five or six years separated but yes you're right there is that organic heavy guitar driven sound Mm -hmm. that recurs again for sure Um, I don't know if you caught it five minutes there's another reference or repeating lyrics from sexuality which we had in our last episode during 1999 concerts where he would bring these forwards and, and, and here we have Reproduction of the new breed leader Stand Up Organize, which is from Sexuality on the album Controversy. Which predated this by 20 years. Yeah. Blending of sex and religion, yeah. understanding of God, which is something that Prince did. Throughout his career. Yeah, which yeah. is the, the truest statement on the estate's summation of this <laughs> yeah. of this album, right? Yes. Can we look at two, three quick places where I said incomprehensible was oh, sort sure. of part of my... Yeah, at the end of The Rainbow Children, there are like different movements that happen in this. If I think of it like as a song, there are different places where the pace changes and different things happen. I'm like, oh, this is a second movement, like starting at... Seven minutes and 14 seconds, there's this slow and mysterious kind of movement in the song. At eight minutes and four seconds, you can hear Prince saying something like, we're in B, or something hmm. maybe about Najee. I cannot, I've listened to it multiple times and could not understand it. But then he goes into a guitar solo, a long instrumental jam in the second kind of movement. And at nine minutes and 17 seconds, he says something like, Nail that, nail that, or you nailed that. Mm. I couldn't make it out. And then solo, he says solo and has another guitar solo. 
And then there was one little other little spot of this song as I kept listening to this over and over at nine minutes and 37 seconds in the right channel, uh, which I'm sorry, you probably have to put your headphones on to hear, but he gives a breathy little <sighs> sound that I had never heard before. Okay. Um, and again, this is just has nothing to do with the meaning of the song or anything, but it's almost he's serving as a band leader in what sounds like a live studio recording that I just wanted to hit on those parts. So now Very cool. I'm ready to talk about the Pharaoh and his muse. All right. Track two. Again, it starts with the dizzy back and forth stereo. It does. I wrote down but, warm tones, vibrato synths. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's an excellent way to put it. But they get less pronounced after the Yeah, the very opening. intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sheba, he yeah. mentions. If like Sheba, she then could bring presents and wine. She is a possibly fictional ruler mm-hmm. of the kingdom of Saba in Arabia. Yeah. She appears in Christian, Jewish, and Islamic traditions, but is unnamed specifically in the Bible, yes. though she is referred to as visiting King Solomon with gold, jewels, and spices, indicating a trading relationship between Israel and Arabia, Mm -hmm. which is interesting and often overlooked. Yeah. The heroine of this song is being portrayed as influential like Sheba. Yes. But in a more sexual way. True. Yes. Uh, I thought, you know, here he is back, Prince, back recording as Prince, and track two if she could be muse to the pharaoh, then one day she might be queen. Mm-hmm. Playing with his name, yes. Totally, totally. Yes. I thought that this song had beautifully layered vocals. Again, yeah. it, like trying to separate message from sound. Uh-huh. Um, just a be- It surprises me that this was not Grammy nominated for recording engineering, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought that this was a prime candidate for what a beautiful sounding record. Yes. That's... Draw draw a box around beautifully sounding record and focus <laughs> on that. And that, I think, is indisputable. It sounds awesome. Yeah. He mentions uh, Proverbs 31.10. And if the proverb of the 31 and verse 10 becomes a song she sings again and again. Yes. So I looked that up in yeah. the New World translation. Okay. I did you know I looked it up, but I didn't pay attention to what translation I was mm. looking for, which was probably a giant mistake on my part <laughs> based on track one. <laughs> so so read yours because mine, good God, it could be like the King James version. I, I don't think it's all that different. Um, who can find a capable wife? Her value is more than that of corals which it's often said as rubies in other translations. Okay. But Oh uh, wow. Let me read you my pagan translation. <laughs> pagan. It's not a- <laughs> it is a praise of the good wife, a definition of a perfect wife or ideal woman in the nation of Israel who is an industrious housewife, a shrewd businesswoman, an enterpri- an enterprising trader, a generous benefactor and a wise teacher. Oh, wow. I like that one much better. That's why I wanted to read it. (laughs) I don't want to get... I'm like watching you. You're like the yodel game on The Price is Right with the guy climbing the mountain. And I'm just trying to stop you before you fall off the edge. Good God. Yeah. Um, So here I think, while it still falls under this order of subjection, it's a little less... 
off-putting, I want to say, here, because it is very praiseworthy of this woman who has garnered his affection, and he puts her down in no way whatsoever. In fact, lifts her up by saying things like, the future of the nation rests in her belly. For the future of the nation rests in her belly. The, she is the one who has the power to bring life and mm-hmm. continue our yeah. story, yeah. which is complimentary. Yes. Right? There's the rapping portion of the song towards the end uh-huh. that I think is, again, fun and confounding. I wrote down confunding. <laughs> <laughs> New words with Josh. Yep. Confunding. Yes. So this kind of starts off with the, you know, the beat doesn't change. This is definitely a slow song, but the bass kind of picks up here and it kind of takes on a different sound Mm -hmm. as he starts speech rapping, talk rapping, would you say? You know, take a load off, sweetie darling. Let me run agenda through your hair. Take a load off, sweetie darling. Let me run agenda through your hair. That's so much agenda, huh? I always thought it was let me run my gender through your hair, which was really <laughs> dirty. Wow. <laughs> but until Some I kind was of like really... penis comb? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's agenda. So yes, I don't know if that's I a... Is... I thought that that might be him almost downplaying his desire to implant these godly orders into her hair like almost makes a little bit of a joke out of it that i'm running agenda i've got things to tell you Uh haha let me run you know when you talk about let me run agenda it's more like let me run my mouth for a little while Oh, okay so that was another you know i'm i've got the scale on the right (laughs) side is all the stuff that kind of is a little off-putting and upsetting and maybe sexist in a way yeah and you know we keep putting very heavy weights on that side of the scale at the, at the, at the beginning of this. Rightfully. So every chance I get to put something on the other side of the yes. scale, I'm trying to be fair. That's that's fine. All right. Always confounded me. The opposite of NATO is Aten. The protection of the word of God. The opposite of NATO is Aten. Okay. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, this agreement between nations to of free trade. Aten, the best thing I could find, was a town in Nigeria. Okay, I have a few things. So Aten, O-T-A-N, is actually the acronym for NATO in Spanish, French, and Portuguese. Okay. So okay. it's literally the same thing. Okay, well, that could make sense, too, that this yeah. thing that he, maybe he has a problem with this agreement between nations, right. the opposite of it is the same. Yeah. B-O-B, spell that backwards, <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> yes. Yes, I also found the uh, town in Nigeria, a village in Syria. Then there's also, this is Muse to the Pharaoh, right? Egyptian. True. Aten, A-T-O-N is the sun god from ancient Egypt. And that was what a pharaoh used to say was the primary god, sort of a push towards monotheism. Hmm. Aten was the the main god, the primary god, the one that you were supposed to worship, and all the rest were lesser gods. It was the sun god. Okay. 
I don't know if it was a play on words. I mean, obviously it was a play on words of some kind, but I'm not exactly sure where he was going with that because yeah. Yeah. the opposite uh, of NATO being the same thing makes sense. It makes sense. The towns don't to, really matter, but yeah. also pointing it towards the Egyptian in a song with Pharaoh in the title. Makes sense. Also kind of makes sense. I think as long as there were those kinds of different interpretations of it, that you could figure out a way to make it make sense, then Prince was all over that. Y- yes. Like, and he didn't really want to tell anybody. No, he was very much, let the let the music speak for itself, and then you end up with these questions, and you know the music can't answer the questions that you pose it necessarily. So you're left to wonder and i think that might be 60 percent of the point yeah that's fair he cheats with the no cussing he does Um, there's no such thing as luck yeah then the berries talons arrows and stars are all superstitions what the what the and if the number 13 is such a bad luck number when there's no such thing as luck then the berries talons arrows and stars all the superstitions what the yeah that Come happens on, a lot man. in here. Yeah. Although I, I'll get on board with this more than I will later on saying like, we don't give a duck what you got on. <laughs> yes, we'll okay? get there. If you're going to like set it up with luck and then end up with what the, uh-huh. there's some fun there. Right? Yes, there's a little but... bit of fun. You're letting your own mind do the, the thing for you. But I'd rather, I'd rather let my mind fill in the word than have you say a word that is just stupid like duck. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But also if what you're trying to do is not curse, then don't put those words in my brain. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, well, seriously, the power of, of language, you know, you can argue that too, that there is the, it's your mind went there. I'm sorry. That sounds like a you problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> y- y- yes. Yeah. But then later on, he says the word ass too. So <laughs> we're just going to get there. <laughs> uh, it takes a trained mind. He's saying to, um, see the devil. When he's dressed in light. Get busy, big baby, cause when them devil come, them devil come dressed as light. Maybe they gon' fool the untrained mind, but nobody I know gon' bite. Which I thought made sense. Yeah. I don't see any problem with that, that you've got to educate yourself to avoid pitfalls. Mm hmm. Uh, he mentions um, Holocaust aside, many lived and died. Yes, to the right. Holocaust aside, many lived and died, but when all truth is told, would you rather be dead or be sold? So we'll get to that in family name. Okay, have, but this some... is a big this that was a big red flag moment, I think, for a lot of folks who it, listen it, to this. Like, is he dismissing the Holocaust, or is he denying that it happened, or is he saying, take that and put it aside? Many folks have lived and died, lived and died throughout history. I'm I'm tr- I'm of the mindset that he's trying to say the Holocaust is real. This is yeah. murder. Oh yeah, I don't think he's a uh, denier. Right. That's that's the only point I wanted to make. There is I think that he's saying that even if you take an event like the Holocaust that can um, represent any and all kinds of injustice that humankind has imparted on itself throughout history, there are still. You know, we live and die, but when all truth is told, would you rather be dead and gone or sold to, you know, servitude? We'll talk about that more. I have a lot of 
thoughts about that in family name. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about it there. And then at the end, he kind of just drops in this big question of life. How do you view your role in eternity? All to see. Now what's beyond you and me? Depends, my friends, primarily on how you view your role in eternity. Yeah, well, I thought I thought I thought it was cleverly done, though. So he starts leading up to that with "So there it is for all to see," and I love the way that he sings behind himself on "All to See." So there it is for all to see. Now, so it's like I've laid it out for you. There it is, and then he says, "Now what's beyond you and me depends, my friends, primarily on how you view your role in eternity." Yeah. I didn't have a problem with that. I kind of thought if you are, um, you know, it depends on your view. What are you living for? How mm-hmm. will your soul live on once this part of life is over? Is all up to you. You make the choices. He doesn't say that he's not judging you. He's saying it's up to you. You get to make the choice, mm-hmm. which he, I thought was He might be judging you cool. a little bit. Uh, At this point, he was judging you. <laughs> well, he may be implying that he knows which way you better choose, <laughs> yeah. but he's also saying it's up to you. And also, either way, the keys on my piano will be just fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, well this will get a lot easier as we get into <laughs> track three. <laughs> oh, my God. Digital Garden. Okay. I'll just start off because I think you probably have more here than I do to say and uh, maybe take issue with. I'll just say up front regarding, again, trying to put some weight on the good side of the scale. Okay. Crazy cool music. Yes. Crazy awesome guitar work. Yes. At best, confounding lyrics. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Christy Norman. (laughs) Um, I thought the... There's like a xylophone at the beginning that's really cool too. Yeah, all Uh, prints. How cool is that? It's really cool. Mm -hmm. I really liked that bit. Okay, so love travels around the world until it reaches the banished ones. Yeah. And they wanted it to cease. They wanted love to cease, right? Until it reached the banished ones Who just wanted this love to see Maite said in her book She never wanted to keep him from studying Sure She just, it was part of the journey She couldn't go on with him Yeah Which I can see Okay, maybe that's a fair reason to split up With all the issues that they had between them and now this big religious divide. But she didn't want him to not love God. Sure. She was she trying just, to stand between right, him and God. Which I thought a little unfair. Very unfair. Even the thought of marrying someone and without knowing that four years later, three years later, they were going to go through this gigantic spiritual turmoil and internalization of things and go off on a path that is a unique one at best. Um, and there was no agreement there that, you know, it's not like a Methodist marrying a Catholic and knowing what they're getting into right. and w- either um, going along with it or letting their Catholic partner 
do their thing. Yeah. This was a, we're both spiritual people and we have this spiritual connection that we both believe in. And then going through the loss of a child and then a, oh, I'm going to go off on this somewhat radical tangent of a religion Uh that was never brought up as a possibility when we made this commitment to one another is definitely tough. It is. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. And I don't necessarily think it a, a reason that they should have stayed together. I think that it's fine to say, you know, they've come to, they've drifted apart in such a way that they were no longer compatible with one another, but right. for but Pete's sake, we could not she goes point off the finger so and hard. tries to live her life. Prince still has the same platform that Prince had has had for mm-hmm. 30 years to make these recordings. Right. Um, also a little unbalanced in the realm of fairness, I <laughs> yeah. guess I would say. Yeah. The one thing about listening to this song, if you, I guess it's, it's a song. It's sort of a segue and a song, right? Yeah. What I did think was very cool was that the first verse, starting with love like a rose in bloom, repeats underneath... Verse two, where he starts singing now, they now fall into the resistor's dream. And in the background, you can hear him singing in his falsetto, love like a rose in bloom. All the rainbow children will feel it's, will feel it soon. It's this rhyme, like these verses are building on one another. Mm So, um, really brilliant song building. Right. I will say. Right. Did you also catch that he says, and they built a digital garden, or so it seemed. And they built a digital garden. Which made me think, is this all in his mind? Is this, you know, he's sort of admitting there that what he's seeing is from his own perspective? This was the one glimpse that I thought opened the door of maybe Prince saying... This is, from my perspective, this is how I see it. That's a bit of a stretch. Well, I can't. How else do you explain a line like, and they built a digital garden, or so it seemed? I mean, I I kept asking, what does this mean? Is it an illusion, or was it real? I think that it was, we built this digital garden, but it wasn't really a garden. It was... Oh, it was noise. It was noise. It was concealing something Mm -hmm. more nefarious. Also that's that's be. what I took from it. Okay. Not a, <laughs> I think I'll, I appreciate your generosity towards him. Yeah. And that, yeah, this was again, as I listen to it, I'm trying to look for peaks into <laughs> Anything a little put. bit of self-reflection or humbleness, I guess. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So the banished ones approaching, they tried to confuse the rainbow children. Yeah. This is the narration voice, the deep altered voice. Yeah. I disagreement isn't confusion. Um, And I think he's really vilifying Maite. And this part too um, sounded a little bit like no place like you. They tried to confuse the rainbow children. Oh, yeah. With the and dun-dun, uh-huh. dun-dun, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, wow, he's really like... Oh, maybe a little bit. Oh, he's making a point to Maite here, I think. 
Yeah. I really think that, you know, I I can imagine this would have been a terribly difficult album for her to listen to. Oh, I, I wonder if she's made it through from start to finish. Oh. That would be tough. But yes, yeah. this also, you know, we talk about time capsules on our show, things that kind of exemplify the moment in time in which these things were recorded, mm-hmm. where he's saying that the banished ones were using lies promoted by the Who's Papers, Hellavisions, uh-huh. and Skagazines. Promoted by the Who's Papers, Hellavisions, and Skagazines. This was still at a time where the internet was not the place where people went to get news. Right. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting, especially yeah. later on in a song like Family Name, where it's all this computer-driven looking up history, and that's all very mm-hmm. computery. Yeah. It's all digital. And here he's talking about a digital garden being built on the foundation of lies that he believes are in print and television. Mm-hmm. And I think he used the term television on Exodus as Yes, well. he did. Yeah. Yep. The banished ones demanded compensation for their time spent in the palace before the exile. No, oh, this set you and off. The, oh, man. They demanded compensation for their time spent in the palace before the exile. This was one thing that we talked about Yeah, before yeah. we sat down to record. Sure. Um, and the wise one gladly Im- obliged with an invisible deed. And gladly obliged with an invisible deed. Uh, yeah, that's not how divorce works. You don't get to say she's asking for compensation for her time. She, Although she did say in her book that she was underpaid. She was living in an apartment you know, yeah. that they put her up in. And Prince didn't even know what she was being paid. This no. was like the business part of it. Yeah, was she's not like for her. starving. And, yes. Yeah. So maybe that's a little bit where that came from. That this could be, you know, look, I worked for you uh, before we were even a married couple for Uh whatever, four years and produced all this work and did all this stuff. And I feel like I was never paid because, but my payment was your love and affection. And that's not enough now. Right. Which could be. Well, and the invisible deed I think is an acknowledgement that because what he gave her in the divorce settlement was the house in Spain. Yeah. It was an invisible deed. She couldn't, he knew she couldn't afford to maintain that piece of property without his support. Oh. And it was, it was a, she was going to be forced to, to sell, sell it. it. Sure. It was an invisible deed. It was something she wasn't going to get to keep because um, she couldn't afford to keep it without his support. Could be. When I heard an invisible deed, I thought that he was talking about a private agreement or a payoff of some kind mm-hmm. that that required um, you know, a signature for confidentiality. Oh. Oh. Whatever it was, that that mm-hmm. was the invisible deed. No one no one would ever see it. And of course mm-hmm. but but it was a little sinister because I don't think he's saying it was his pleasure to do it when he says gladly obliged yeah. with an invisible deed. This is not what they do at Chick-fil-A for their employees <laughs> and customers, right? Right. My um, pleasure. <laughs> uh, I think that, yes, the gla- and gladly obliged with an invisible deed is like, okay, this is what you want? Fine. Here you go. I'm just glad to have it over with. Yeah. Sign here. This is between you and me. No one ever knows. So it may have been... That, yes, I'm going to give you this place that's so far away, and I don't want it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. 
sell it. You sell it and you keep the money. It's your, it's your problem now. Yeah. Maybe all of this is. Yeah. Conjecture. Yeah. Uh, the banished ones return to their place of birth in Mendicity. The banished ones accepted it and returned to their place of birth. In Mendicity. Mendicity means untruthfulness. Mendacity, isn't it? I thought that that was the. Uh, he said Mendacity. Yes, but, but it's I think Mendacity it's a play on, is play the, on the word Mendacity. Right. Yeah. Door to door, they went in search of those willing to do the work. Door to door, they went in search of those willing to do the work. A reference to an upcoming song. The next song, that's obviously a reference to Jehovah's Witness practice of going door to door. Yeah, just to speak to folks about the Bible, whether they have a church or a religion or not. They want to talk to you. Um, Here in South Texas, Uh they don't want to talk to us. They only want to talk to people who speak Spanish. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, kind of. It's another part of white person privilege. (laughs) Yeah. All right, and then we have The Work, Part 1. Right. So this was technically, maybe not even technically, just it was the album's first single, Mm -hmm. which was released on the file-sharing platform Napster. Mm -hmm. All you kids out there remember Napster? It was a slightly different mix of the song, though, that had a little bit of different instrumentation and lyrics towards the end that we'll cover in a subsequent episode. Um, The version that's on this album is what we're going to talk about today. Although he also did play this live on The Tonight Show with Jay mm-hmm. Leno and did an interview afterwards, too. Yeah. This is probably like, I guess if you just listen to it, like you would listen to a song on the radio without paying a whole lot of attention to what's being said, probably the most pop-focused song on the album. So it made sense that this would be, you know, kind of a single. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot. It definitely has a James Brown feel to it. Yes. It for starts sure. with a James Brown kind of no. yell. The part one yep. is a definitely an homage to James Brown and mm-hmm. uh, his contemporaries yes. where they had long songs that they were forced to break up into shorter tracks, yep. not really indicating that there was going to be a part two, Right, just it was an homage to say this could go on longer. Right. Although... I don't, even if you do pay attention to the lyrics in the song, I think it's probably the most light-hearted, light, topically I would agree with lyric that. Lyric mm-hmm. on this album so far. I mean, we're on track four, so the bar is set <laughs> pretty low. <laughs> you, can, you can overcome a lot of things here on track four. So we've only gone in <laughs> three, three tracks. But yeah, essentially it is, uh, I'm willing to do the work that's asked of me by my God. Mm-hmm. Right? To, yep. to be saved. Right. It's obviously religious in nature, but also uh, speaks to Prince's work ethic. He's willing oh, yeah. to do the work to make his music, what he's been called to do by God, the best it can possibly be. Yep. It's kind of a, I like it when they have the double meaning. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's a little mention, mention here of the devil, which we got at the end of Muse to the Pharaoh, also the mm-hmm. sneakiness and underhandedness of the devil with yes. lyrics like, we're living in a system that the devil designed and suffering from this devil's most heinous crime. Right to 
He's trying to keep us from the reason that we were born, which is to be living truth in human form. There's a lot there that I can feel like, you know, I'm I'm on board with you again here. Yeah, I'm like, I think that's the really great way to say that humanity is made in God's image, living truth in human form. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, what a great, like, one, two, three, four, five, five words to define what we are as people, Uh as living truth in human form, if we're made in God's image. Yeah, that's great. There are a lot of... um, Biblical references, of course. The Garden and Eve is mm-hmm. obviously a yeah, and we're talking about Genesis reference. Not talking about the digital garden. No. Uh, the sun, S U N, but also S O N. Yeah, is your risen. sun is risen. Uh huh. Jesus and joy. Tell me, your sun is risen. The fall, mm-hmm. cast from Eden or a dark place. Yep. Revelation come to pass. Preach on. <laughs> uh, hasten the return of Jesus, but also enlightenment. But this is the work we must do for Revelation to come to pass. This work, this work. But it also tells us that Prince is having a pretty literal view of the Bible here. Yes, that's um, true. Yes, that, that it is a like actual record of history or a prophesy things yeah. to come yes a lot of literalists of the bible yeah. believe that uh, revelation is yet to come and the ruling class uh, mm-hmm. kind of a dig at them the meek shall inherit the earth right this work is the kind of turn your back on the ruling class putting them in a place just like the past look out and in between all of that Musically, at a minute and 56 seconds, we get a trumpet solo, which is a rare thing on a Prince studio album. Um, After the part that you just mentioned about the ruling class by putting them them in their place just like the past, at Mm -hmm. two minutes and 30 seconds, we get a muted guitar solo. Yeah, it's really cool. And did you read on Prince Vault that it was said that Prince played his guitar solo and piano solo at the same time? In okay, this recording? so I was trying to understand. It said they played the guitar solo and the piano solo in the same take or in a single take. I think uh, one hand playing the guitar, the other hand playing a piano. How does that That's even work? Well, you can play the guitar by not strumming strings, by just moving your fingers oh, okay. on the neck of the guitar okay. to get notes out of it, especially amplified guitar. Okay. So that's what I was saying, that he's playing with one hand on guitar, the other hand's and, on a piano, oh, and that's, that's what cool. made these solos. Okay, so I was trying to understand that, and I thought maybe it was just that he played the guitar one time through and the piano one time through, did them each in a single take mm. for this. I don't know. I have. I didn't. I couldn't wrap my brain okay. around how it works. So I wasn't going to bring it up. But it's, since you again, did. it's the national debt. You can't understand it. <laughs> uh, I my belief is that it means he played both instruments at wow. the same time, and they were recorded at, in one take. For man, so, yeah, that's that right there. That's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, Holocaust aside, <laughs> Prince played two instruments at the same time on this track. So we get the end of um, the work. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bloop. Thank you. At the very end of that song, we get really the beginning of what I consider the next track everywhere with the narrator yes. back saying from all over the people came to do the work. And with every phase of the deconstruction of the deconstruction, the everlasting now became ever more reality everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is the utopia that the estate speaks of now yeah. that everyone gets behind Prince and Prince's mind and is there to help deconstruct the digital garden that was put up by the banished ones. Okay. Um, some very pretty record uh, lyrics at the beginning of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that. Yeah. John Blackbell was mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. studio and Prince wasn't there and he was helping the engineer in the studio, make sure everything was mic'd up. up correctly. Yes. And that's where the drum pattern came from, from the song. He was helping the, engineer make sure everything was done right and played and he leaves and prince you know is there overnight or whatever john blackwell comes in the next day and there's this whole song built around his like yes his like yeah his his little practice like yeah check check super cool i thought that was very cool yeah so it's not a song that john blackwell played drums in with the notion that this was going to become a song. It were, there were pieces of this that Prince then just took together from these check the mic one, two, mm-hmm. and now we've got an entire song. Uh, which I think is kind of great because there's a lot of joy in this song. Oh, for and- sure. This is like the spot where I was like, I'm, I'm, or I'm not coming around. This album is coming, coming around, around yeah. here, right? I absolutely agree, and I feel like he really picked up on the joy of John Blackwell just riffing and playing and having enjoying playing the drums. Yeah. And he pulled that joy from that and made the song. Yeah. 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 Or even as he said at the beginning of Calhoun square, he's instructed different song, different album, different era, but he's telling band members, listen to the drummer, but you should have fun. It shouldn't be work. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, th- th- these are my notes, exactly what you just said. My notes read, after album openers full of blame and finger pointing, here we have an incredibly inclusionary and hopeful song that yes. I think is free of anything that would put you off of religion or, you know, especially organized religion or even getting as specific as Jehovah Witnesses. This is something that I could hear being played in a Catholic church, a very traditional Catholic mm-hmm. church with singers to a, a very contemporary church. I could yeah. see like a, it's a very gospel-y, yeah. beautiful, funky gospel song is yep. what I called it. It's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. Um, beautiful singing, I think by millennia with the opening, there's a place I want to go where the milk and honey flow. Milk and mm-hmm. honey would later be uh, a working title of Tamar's mm-hmm. album. Without God, I it wasn't there. Now I feel it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Without God, it was 
know it's written in the heart. Now I know that it's written in the heart. Now I'm ready, ready to stop. That part right there, because Prince starts singing verse two, uh-huh. um, and it sounds a little like "Song of the Heart" from "Happy Feet." Yeah. It's got that kind of sound from it. And then the core—I guess you would call it the chorus, even though it's only—it's it's one part. It's very short. Yeah. But talk about inclusionary. We were always meant to be in paradise eternally. Before the truth, I did not care. Now I feel it everywhere. There's no separation of the wise one and his clan or the banished ones and their clan. Right. I don't know if it was intentionally... You know, if you had said to Prince, he might have said, oh, actually, that's not what I meant. But he is right. saying, we were always meant to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. We being all of us, not yeah. specifically just, just the ones who follow the theocratic order. Right. Exactly. That This is a turning point for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe smartly track to put, you know, here, track number five, I've set up this Prince's per- perspective. I've set up, this is how stuff went and how I was wronged and how I made these people leave and how, uh, I made it contractually obligated and this was my plan and it's in line with God's plan. And then to throw this in following that to say, well, actually there's a place I want to go, but it's a place where we were always meant to be. All of us were created to come here and it's Mm -hmm. open for all of us. Yeah. It's good. It is good. And the very end of it, as he gets into his falsetto and says, again, we've got so much work to do everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got so much work to do everywhere. Then we have uh, the sensual ever after mm-hmm. um you know more story the muse is back it's very obviously manuela yes that he's referring to yeah but i don't think it's a it's an accident that the story becomes happier this animosity starts to leave as she enters the picture yeah, yeah. um yeah she has a shared religious perspective yeah and that was a transcendent experience yeah it was something they both this, shared yeah and this that's expressed in this largely instrumental song yeah there's a great guitar solo from 50 yeah. seconds to like a minute 30 and then a bass solo from a minute 30 to a minute 50 uh, that i didn't even realize was a bass until i started re-listening to it and trying to figure out well it kind of starts at a, at a high note and then um it's very clear that it's a bass solo but um yeah, tr- really also cool. trying to define what is the sensual ever after. Is it a moment of togetherness and embracing or lovemaking? Mm-hmm. I, I think I, towards the latter is yeah, where I'm uh, yeah. here. Or just a, a deep spiritual connection yeah. with somebody that he felt like he was lacking, at least at the end of right. their relationship. Right. He it's, was obviously not lacking at the beginning of their relationship. No, he wrote an entire yes. symbol album about and their... all of emancipation. And all of emancipation. Yeah. yeah. About how connected they were. Yes. How they were fated to be together. Yeah. And then 
Yeah. Yeah. Lots of things happened. Yeah. But I thought, you know, this rolls into Mellow that sort of tells mm-hmm. the story of getting to the sensual ever after, if you will, from like a physical perspective. But mm-hmm. it's like a little like Muse to the Pharaoh, very incredibly warm sounding and organic and I think really beautifully sung. Yes. And this was a kind of a second single from the album too. It was, I had forgotten that they released this to all AOL members Uh, as a free download back on January 14th, 2002. So if you were, if you had AOL service, here's a song that you didn't ask for. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they mentioned in the song, Macy Gray and Common, and mm-hmm. they were guests on stage of Princes at an after show uh, in November of 2000. You can watch a tape of this mellow after party. Macy and Common were there. In Chicago. In Chicago. Yep. Um, and they also refer to the egg, which is that yeah. oval building that was built next to Paisley Park, which believed to be intended to serve as almost a food pantry at one point or could have been storage or both well, but the, remains um, unfinished yeah the uh, architect at one point in the plans it was going to be more studio space mm-hmm. it was going to be living quarters it was going to be guest quarters it was going to be a food pantry it was going yeah. to be storage yeah. a new vault and probably like many things in prince's influence it went through many different concepts and ideas and remained yeah um, it's just, like an and unreleased then he got bored with it not only does he have <laughs> thousands of unreleased songs he's got a freaking unreleased building <laughs> I thought that Mellow was an awesome example of what Prince would call in concert pacing yourself. Yeah. Like there was no hurry here. There was a lot of joy and patience mm-hmm. in the slowness of the song. Mm-hmm. Well, and even in the, like the lyrical content, you know it takes me a while to do my hair. Like, it takes him forever to say that lyric, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know it takes a while. You know, there's a character there's on Malcolm no in the middle that talks just like this. He's like asthmatic. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, he's just, yeah, he's illustrating how little of a rush he's in. Yes, that he has all the time in the world and he's devoting it. This is the, uh, this is the song I was referring to at the beginning of the podcast when we started talking about the Rainbow Children, that there is a little bit of redemption in the dogmatic, I guess, order of authority that he's mm-hmm. outlined. Because throughout this song, he is completely subjecting himself to his lover in yeah. the song and putting her far above putting her needs far above his putting pleasing her far above his need to be pleased and even saying once i understand i stand under you i could dance and do like do anything you'd like your man to be like he becomes completely submissive to her in this song which again, I'm putting on the left side yes. of the scale. Agreed. All right. Totally. 
Yeah. Uh, where do you want to eat tonight, baby? He's uh-huh. uh, deferring to her, but then he makes a suggestion. <laughs> uh, I know yeah. this dope spot <laughs> called One Another. Well, I know when I ask you what you want to do, most of the time it's, eh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got to give offer up something, right? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. He's trying to help her out. Yeah. Where you want to eat tonight, baby? I know this dope spot called One Another. I love at two minutes and 26 seconds when he says, now break it down. Now break it down. I get lost. Like there's anything left in the song to break down to. It's mostly just like a beat <laughs> yeah. and a little bit of bass and that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is the part that I was talking about, about submission. Uh, I want to get lost in the composition of you. Learn the rhythm and play the only notes you want me to. I'm a good learner, and once I understand, I'll stand under you and let you show me how you want your man to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, give he's me direction, up some control, and totally, which is great. And then the dirtiest thing on this whole album, it is. Can even, I sing to you while you bring yourself to joy? Mm-hmm. Well, even like the, you can hear like the drumstick making circles on a cymbal <laughs> as he starts talking about. <laughs> I'll go slow at first while you quench your thirst, wet circles around the toy while uh-huh. you bring yourself to joy. Sing to you while you bring yourself to joy. I'll go slow at first while you quench your thirst. Wet circles around the toy. And like, you can literally hear a wooden drumstick being run across the ridges on a metal cymbal while he sang this. And again, that's where I go back to this could have easily been nominated or won a, an award, any kind of award for yeah. sound engineering. Yeah. It's Cause it was great. great. Really yeah. great. Yes, you are right. This was the dirtiest part of the album for yeah. sure. All right. Well, now that we found the dirtiest moment, we're going to take a quick break to go wash fan up. ourselves. Are you ever afraid to talk about something? Do you avoid certain topics, maybe with certain people? Like your racist Uncle Frank. Sorry, Frank. It's true. Do you want to learn how to have better conversations, increase compassion, and build bridges, not walls? We Don't Talk About That with Lucas Land is the podcast where we do talk about that with me, Lucas Land. Get it wherever fine podcasts can be found. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Now we're back with one plus one plus one is three. Some simple math that actually starts at the end of Mellow before track eight begins. We get the narrator back again telling us how the wise ones love her started to lose consciousness, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and fall into the sensual ever after Mm -hmm. or fell under his spell. Yeah. I always have wondered and still continue to wonder about the uh, line, planting a seed that bears fruit on the tree. Planting a seed that bears fruit on the tree. Is that a figurative thing or is that a sexual thing? Yes. I think both. All right. Well, I guess that's all clear now. Let's move on. 
There's a really okay. So I'd like to say this is a truly funky song that we should appreciate. Uh huh. Aside from its religious content, sure. It's I think the music's great. It's so amazing the way the uh-huh. lyrics are delivered. Really fun. Oh yeah, and um, the erotic city like guitar. Uh huh. At the beginning, yeah. And then there's this there's this very cool echo of mm-hmm. no place and the right channel yes. at one point. You ain't got no place to stay. No place. Come on, baby. It's a, really again sound design and the way yeah, the it's, whole soundscape. It's, it's great. It's, it's super really cool. Really good. And the theocratic order. There's a theocratic order. We don't have to agree with Prince to appreciate where he was at in his spiritual journey. Although he himself said, ain't no room for disagreeing. Ain't no room for disagreeing. Yes. And again, this is Prince telling us about Prince. He's telling us where he's at. It tells us way more about Prince than it tells us about us and where we should be. It's telling us where Prince was. He didn't have space at that time for disagreement about this particular thing. It's telling us, it's like when somebody says, you know, there's a lot of things that people will say to you and they are angry when they say it. It's saying a lot about where they are and what they're feeling and not really reflecting you as an individual. All true. You know, we mentioned earlier about how Prince as a person, I think is um, certainly the one who probably changed the most Mm -hmm. uh, in his relationship and marriage with Maite. This song is the conversation that I think a counselor or pastor would have said, you guys should have had this conversation uh-huh. like six years ago. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a conversation they could have had because this wasn't even in his head then. Right. So like you said, the level of fairness is about zero here. <laughs> uh, but the level of funkiness and fun is 10. Yes. Out of 10. He says, let me play with my thing. Two minutes and 32 <laughs> seconds. Say, it's baby. So fixing to play with my thing. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Is that a keyboard? A I think it's synthesizer? a keyboard. Yeah. A distorted keyboard solo? Yeah. Say, baby. Let me play with my thing. Even uh, his sped up voice in the background that says, play with it, Uh is super, super cool. It's really fun. Um, Again, he goes back to lyrics from Mello after that part of play with it, actually. Stroke your hair a hundred times. Let me see what I can find. There Mm -hmm. is a loving quality there. Right. Stroke your hair a hundred times. Of course. Then it's followed by, do you know about the order? Do you know about the order now? Yeah. One plus one plus one is three. So I think that we're, there's something triangular about that. There's a small part of me, 10%, that says Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But then the other part is one plus one plus one is three. And that's God, man, woman yes. in that order. Uh, yes, or uh, the 
typical marriage verses that are used, say a threefold chord is yeah. not quickly broken. Right. It's a man, a woman, and God. When the three of them are together, they're stronger. Yes. That's you know, tip that's what I took from it. It yeah. was primarily he was thinking about marrying Manuela and he was thinking about that kind of relationship. I yeah. Think. This way we can all be stronger. Right. If we do this. So yeah. No, the whole part with, uh, you know, we are the banished ones and we have come to dance. Mm -hmm. If you will not let us, we'll have to kick your pants. (laughs) Like the banished ones have come to party. This is almost like Prince sort of welcoming everyone back in. Like we can all dance together. Uh That's okay. Yeah. But this is how it's going to be if you and I are going to be together. Mm -hmm. But I have... Uh, a bold note here that says the banished ones only want to party. Yeah. Yeah. And Prince is going to open his door to that. Yeah. He's okay with that. He says, get rowdy. Yeah. That's from undisputed. Fantastic. It's a little like a callback to the last album that he true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Very good. Uh, Another fake curse that you mentioned before. Yeah. We don't give a duck what you got on. We don't give a duck what you got on. Yeah, there's a little bit of going back to uptown here yeah. that it doesn't Ooh. matter what you did or what you're wearing. Actually, here you are, you're in my palace and we're going to just dance. Let me see you sh- see you shake your pants. Mhm. Uh he mentions Moneyapolis again. Yeah. Which also from a remix of Undisputed. Yep. Yep. You're right. And then he says uh, snaggle voice under his breath a little well, bit. Yeah, because there's the part that where he says, uh, here they come, y'all. Rally around the palace now. Uh-huh. You know what you got to do. Yeah. And then his response to that was, how'd that fool get up in here? Snaggle <laughs> voice. <laughs> so he's having a little fun at his own expense. Yeah. Come on. Yes, there's the order of the joining of man, woman, God. One plus one plus one is three. And this is how it's going to be if you want to be with me. At least he's clear. Right. Credit for transparency, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. But Prince is basically welcoming the non-believers back to party as if it's all okay in this song. Well, he can't reach those non-believers Unless he invites them back in. Yeah. But I'm with you. This was um, definitely, thus far, like the most upbeat party song mm-hmm. on the album. So next up is, I was going to say track, but actually these are chapters. We didn't mention that. Oh, that this yeah. is almost written. Like a book. Set up like a book or a Bible of sorts. These aren't tracks. These are chapters. Mm-hmm. Chapter nine, deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Another case of not a song to me, but more of like a narrative segue. Yeah. Uh, the party's over, I guess, after one plus one plus one is three is done, and all the banished ones have to flee. Yeah, the, I again, I thought, poor Maite, because this is clearly indicating that she clouded his judgment, and Manuela was the antidote. Yes. As the new queen. Yes. And as the haze was broken, he says that the awareness 
came over everyone that no one would ever lay claim to the treasures of the Rainbow Children, uh-huh. whether he means his money, his uh-huh. songs, his property, right. Paisley Park, his living quarters, all of these things that are his treasures would never be, I don't know, no one would ever stake a claim in them again. Yeah. And saying to me that that's what was done to him prior. Mm-hmm. And then we have the really weird and fun wedding feast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is all about levity to me um, and some nice singing by Kip Blackshire, uh-huh. but also very transitory in nature, like 54 seconds here. We've almost got these segues, you know, back to back here, but a little bit of fun and silliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It is fun. He get, uh, does a little uh, vegetarianism prophetizing. Yep. Uh, we are what we eat, so we must eat a leaf. Yeah, we'll dine under a tree uh-huh. unless it snows. Uh-huh, a little poke at uh, Minneapolis weather. Yeah, yeah, like we'll, we'll <laughs> Sometimes try. Sometimes it snows in April, so we'll try and eat under a tree, but... Yep. I was looking at the credits for this, too, to see who did the strings that underlay this music, because they're really pretty. If you listen to them, the orchestration of it all is really mm-hmm. nice. And uh, if you believe Prince Vault and uh, the booklet, it wasn't like he went out to someone like Claire Fisher to do this. He did it himself, I assume, on a synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was also remarkable. It's kind of fun, silly, weird, yeah, confounding. But even Prince laughs at the end of it as kind of an indication of, you know, just just having a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's some joy. A little joy. It's a little out of order, it would seem to me, that, uh, you know, he claims now there must be a wedding, now there must be a feast, only after um, there's been some sensual ever after, mm-hmm. some mellow, and then a party. Uh-huh. I would think that the order would be wedding, party, (laughs) (laughs) sensual ever after, right? Oh, maybe it's a engagement process, you know? There's probably, yes, some kind of um, romantic romantic order to go along with the theocratic order. Yeah, that's Mm. fair. All right. Then we have She Loves Me For Me, where he talks about how she doesn't really care that he's a musician. Right. That what she loves is who he is innately. We um, saw Prince in Houston at a One Night Alone show on April 14th, 2002. And before that concert, we were in there for the sound check and there yep. was a little Q&A with Prince. Yeah. I was fairly close to him. And um, Yeah, we were in row two. Yeah. And he was sitting on the edge of the stage uh-huh. talking with folks. Yeah. And uh, had cut the Q&A short. He was getting ready to go. And as he was leaving, I was like, whoever you wrote, she loves me for me, too. I hope she makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> well, it was uh, everybody was talking to him. And oh, uh, wait, one more thing, one more thing. Yeah. And then like, oh. She makes you happy. Yeah. Because I didn't really understand all that other stuff was about my taste. So specifically, I thought it was more fictional in nature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. More of a story. Yeah. Uh, I remember him also saying that he had, he was at Kingdom Hall, which was like a Jehovah Witness. Uh um, Yeah. That's what they call their worship facilities. 
Yep. All of them. Kingdom Halls. Oh, I didn't know that that was all of them. That all of them are Kingdom Halls. Okay. Yeah. So this was um, a real proclamation of love. But again, Prince has done this before with, you know, every, it seems like he's very quick to hit the reset button and pretend like this hasn't happened before. I mean, I think that he would he would have said the same thing about vanity in yeah. 1981, you know, that it was someone who she was someone who appreciated him for his personality, his inner thoughts, uh-huh. you know, not, not just for his success. Not, not his yeah. singing voice and success. But this one it does seem even though it's clearly something he's done before, there is a level of sincerity here that I felt was authentic. Yeah. Oh yeah. This was a promo single. I didn't even know there was a website called rainbowchildren.com at the time, and you could get the single from it. So they had Napster, they had AOL, then they had rainbowchildren.com. Not the rainbowchildren.com, but Uh rainbowchildren.com, where this was a promo single that you could only get there. Huh. How about that? I didn't know that. I didn't either. I went and looked, and apparently... For the right price today, you can buy rainbowchildren.com. Oh, so, really? It is okay. for sale. Make an offer. <laughs> um, Prince and John Blackwell are the only contributors on this song. John mm-hmm. plays uh, the drums and Prince does everything else. Yep. But like you said, it's a lot of com- comparison of, you know, it doesn't matter if I write 300 songs. To her, it's the same as just three. It doesn't, yeah. It's not that impressive to her. I'm not impressed by your... Um, level of being so prolific musically, it's about our relationship. Yeah, and about who he is innately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another vegetarian reference. Yep. She don't like no beef. This is just a little gratuity. She don't like no beef. She just loves beef for me. Yes. <laughs> She's all, she not only does she uh, not like cow's meat but she's not interested in conflict which i think is perhaps the uh real crux mm-hmm. of this she is not interested in challenging him yes in any way true yes there's a level of submission that meets his approval um also you know when we talked about the wise one gladly obliged with an invisible deed, if that might have been a private or what do you call it? When you sign a contract about a confidentiality agreement uh-huh. kind of thing. DNA. A DNA, yes. There not seems, a DNA. NDA. No, NDA, yes. Don't, <laughs> not about not resuscitating you. It's about not talking about you. <laughs> No, yeah. that's a DNR. DNA is what makes us who we are. That's true. You're right there also. <laughs> so in everything that makes him up, he does not need a DNR or, a, or an NDA. Yeah, he says, this one I can tell all my secrets to. I don't need to make her swear. Swear She would never tell any who. This one I can tell all my secrets to. I don't need to make her swear. She would never tell any who. This is kind of a cute line, but again, goes back to, I think, his perception of contracts and I don't want to sign anything. It's all about agreements. Let's look one another in the eye, which again, seemed to give him the padding he needed to change things up as he saw fit also. Yeah, that's fair. There was some self-servingness to that, I think, Mm -hmm. too. I also wonder how many girls he's taken, had to take on a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) They don't need the thrill. 
I can just they see don't need Prince. The, I think, that, again, that's a reference to how deferent she is to him, that she's not interested in conflict. She doesn't need to have the ups and downs, the high passion, yeah. which is something that he loved about Maite back when they met, was she had this Latin temper and challenged him, mm-hmm. and you know he's not interested in that anymore. True. You're thinking of him on a literal roller coaster. Well, or to impress her, to do, to do things that makes him uncomfortable, just to impress her. You know, oh, okay. Kind of what I saw. Yeah. But I could just see him qualifying to board the roller coaster based on wearing heels. <laughs> <laughs> you must be at least this tall to get on this ride. Whoo! <laughs> Made it. Yeah. Simple song. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm good with this one. Okay. And then we have family name. You uh, promised some deep dive into this one. Okay, so uh, uh, I'm going to try and not make it too too deep. All right. But yeah, you know, before you get into to your description and explanations and thoughts, I just thought it was interesting that back on Digital Garden, he kind of acknowledged that people are getting their news and their information from whose papers, televisions, and skagazines. Uh-huh. The internet was not a source of information. However, family name, we almost have a pre-Siri kind of digital guide through history. Yes. Led by voices that rely heavily on Mac OS built-in voices from the time. And I went back and looking, and they're still available. If you got a Mac, you can go into speech and system preferences. Turn on Agnes. And type the first part of uh, these lines, welcome, you've just accessed the Akashic, Akashic Records Genetic Information Division. Have her speak it for you. Ha, and it's, it's the same. It's the same. Oh, that's cool. Welcome. You have just accessed the Akashic Records Genetic Information Division. So thank you, Agnes. Your voice lives on. That's cool. So it references, as you just said, the Akashic Record. Um, and this is a reference to a theoretical compendium of all human events, not yep. only actions and words, but thoughts and intent preserved in a non-physical plane of existence called the etheric plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Akasha is the Sanskrit word for ether, sky, or atmosphere. Oh, cool. I had yeah. to look. I'm like, what does that even mean? Akashic. <laughs> um, I think it's the Akashic Chronicle that you yes. were describing. Yes, that's um, yes. I can. I'm. I'm almost impressed with the level of thought and uh, cleverness that went into you know setting this up as a race history and a governmental history that's not from the perspective of him. Or from the Bible, but like this shared knowledge base, like this uh, pre-Wikipedia, Wikipedia kind uh-huh. of thing that uh-huh. is like compiled just... by everyone, and we kind of all just agree that it's basically true, but there's really no proof that any of it is true, right? Or even was curated by anyone with half a brain, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it just is all living up there in the ether, and because it's there, we can draw upon it, right? When we need to. Then there's uh, an interaction. Uh, around 1600, where Morris Hayes does some speaking. And it's uh, the only way we could have access to this information is through the Akashic Record. There was no recording of it, right? um, which is kind of, I thought, interesting. Um, And they changed his name for their convenience. 
Yes, your given name is no longer valid. Right. Is where this was coming from. Yes. Can we back up to it? We've got to make mention of, I think, the only uh, (laughs) mention of the words butt cheeks (laughs) on a Prince album ever is right there. And Uh unfortunately, a computer has to tell us, place your right hand on the scanner and tightly clinch up your butt cheeks. As you may feel a slight electrical shock. And then he makes a little noise like, not a slight electrical shock. I thought that was kind of clever, too, that not only is there going to be like, you're going to feel it, but you might actually be uncomfortably shocked by what you're about to hear. This program, place your right hand on the scanner and tightly clinch up your butt cheeks as you might feel a slight electrical shock. Which I didn't necessarily. Clench your butt cheeks so you don't. Yeah. Poop when you hear it. That's right. Yeah. You may soil yourself when you <laughs> hear. I also kind of. The more I listened to it and the more I tried to dissect it, I didn't have as much of a problem as I initially did with the explanation of the term black and white, mm-hmm. with it being a fallacy, right. and you know it means this or that. This means the truth. That which is opposite to it, and when minorities realize their similarities on this stair step of higher levels, then they're no longer the, the minority. They are the majority uh, in the wink of an eye. Mm-hmm. The so-called minority becomes the majority in the wink of an eye. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. I, I mean, and also very to. true. It rooted yeah. in truth. That's That, to me, is outside of the realm of the Akashic Records. This is like common sense, Martin Luther King kind of jargon. Mm-hmm. Right? Agreed. And we get uh, the devil arrived in 1914. That's when World War I started. Yes, you're talking about now after we go through this computerized uh, explanation of things, both family history and governmental wrongdoings, Prince starts singing in his falsetto mm-hmm. with all these questions. Right. 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 Well, and he's uh, then he starts kind of listing some names and talking about uh, some Jewish-sounding names and sounding people. Yes, yes. Um, He gives John Blackwell a shout-out. He sure does. um, uh, By uh, saying, yeah, he's John Blackwell just the same. He doesn't, he didn't get to keep his family name. Right. I'll be John Blackwell just the same. What's your family name? So I saw some people questioning, was Prince anti-Semitic? Because the three names that he mentions are all pretty traditionally Jewish names. Rosenblum. Perlman. Perlman and... Goldstruck. Goldstruck. Mm -hmm. And he was really likening the African-American plight to that of the Israelites. Yeah. Back in the Old Testament, they were slaves. And right. he's really saying, look, we were both slaves. And the difference is you got to keep your family name and they changed ours for convenience. Yeah. Or to erase a little bit of history. Yes. Also, which, yes, yes is convenient. Also talks about you know, the, him uh, asking questions is kind of, he like asks questions and then answers them throughout this. Like verse two, he's talk, taking issue with the way history is even written or taught in America by questioning teacher, teacher, 
what you say, did we really come over in a boat, mm-hmm. we being African-Americans? Did it really go down that way? Or did I arrive before you and ruin Thanksgiving Day? Uh-huh. Makes me wonder like, what he was reading about. Yeah, or he thinks that, you know, I think he was just saying Thanksgiving is a celebration of the pilgrims and Indians and this kind of thing. And the African-American races really goes unmentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're part of that history. So I think he's saying, you know, if if we were truly here first, then I guess that destroys the celebration that we all have on the fourth day, fourth Thursday of November every year, right? Right. Uh, you know, of course, we've got the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, speech at the end of this. A lot of how he approaches this is um, very logical and methodical and not in a, a complete angry way. In fact, he's trying to answer in the chorus... Yeah, well, of course you don't understand because you still have what was taken from us. Right. So that's why I'm here to explain it to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I loved the fact that we talked about megachurches in our last episode when uh-huh. he played at the summit in right. Houston and it's now a megachurch and he questions preachers in the same way. That mm-hmm. we would today, too. Yeah. Preacher, preacher, is it true that Jesus wants me to give my money to the likes of you? Preacher, preacher, is it true that Jesus wants me to give my money to the likes of you? Ride around in your Lexus coupe, drive us to the cleaners in a pinstripe suit. Oh, preacher, that ain't true. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's really pretty hard-hitting. Yes, I agree. Um, I tried to figure out if the names of the three okay three different names if they were had any meaning okay i couldn't find anything for goldstruck at okay. all rosenbloom i think the, all the things i found are not relevant okay. the only one that might have some relevant is pearlman uh-huh please meet you mr pearlman lou pearlman was man who helped form in sync and the backstreet boys and while prince didn't really like their music he could appreciate that the band members were being exploited Hmm. and it was not widely known when this album came out but pearlman was running a ponzi scheme to the tune of 300 million dollars Oh, it's it fell apart in 2006, oh, but it's certainly possible that Prince had been approached to be a part of that yeah. because he was in the music industry as was Pearlman. Mm-hmm. So interesting. That was the only one really of note that I found. But again, I, you know, I said, um, talking about the Holocaust and stuff. So back in Muse to the Pharaoh, I mentioned the Holocaust and, I really think that it was a way of looking at two different groups of people who were slaves. He's setting the Holocaust aside, but still that was bringing two different groups together who'd both been slaves, comparing and understanding mm-hmm. their different plights. Right. The plight of the Israelites, which he would have been studying a lot about at this time with his in-depth study of the Bible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in that verse of, you know, pleased to meet you, Mr. Perlman. You can call me Clay. Can I play? Uh-huh. And he's referring to Cassius Clay, changing his name to Muhammad Ali, which was a lot of the inspiration for Prince changing his name to this unpronounceable symbol. 
uh, and the freedom that it gave him, at least in his own head, to be himself and um, be free of any prior obligations. Yeah. I guess you could say. You can call me Clay. Can I play? And that's the part, too, like five minutes and 27 seconds when maybe he loses his temper a little bit trying to explain this to folks. I mean, he's like mansplaining, essentially, racism (laughs) in America. And at five minutes, 27 seconds, he spits a hawker and gives you this great guitar solo. You know, you can call me Clay, now can I play? Yeah. And you get this... Yep. That's um, pretty powerful. Yes. When we get to the end, he sings the chorus one last time um, where he says, Pleased to meet you, Mr. Goldstruck. And we found this tape in the Akashic Records, and he's got Thomas Jefferson, which when I first heard this, I thought was pointing out that Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner, which we know that he was. Right. But we have his imitated voice saying, My fellow Americans, if there is a just God, we're going to pay for this. Which sounds like him saying, as a slave owner, you know, if there is a God above us, we're all we're all going to pay for what we're doing right now, me included. Which I yeah. thought was kind of interesting. I, I when I first heard the song, I thought he was showing Thomas Jefferson, kind of the curtain being pulled from him, saying, "If there's a just God, you're going to pay for this," like blaming. Uh slaves for their own plight kind of thing but that's not the message there at all so we get the that part and then um the martin luther king jr speech part that rolls into some live cheers you almost have this live performance kind of feeling and before the everlasting now starts prince mutters something this is part of my incomprehensible category Mm -hmm. where like right before he says something like bring the beat or give me the beat or something like that, right before the everlasting now starts. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Lucky 13, the everlasting now. That's another song he performed live on Jay Leno. It's easy to forget he performed two different songs from this album in two different appearances on mm-hmm. uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Yep. Um, Prince tells us we're starting with some bass. Yeah, he mutters bass. Mm-hmm. Bass. And did you hear, too, that right after that, there's some of the slowed-down narrator voice talking in the background before the first verse that Mm. is uh, like, I cannot understand it at Mm. all, but you can hear him speaking and saying something. So I guess we start here with Prince's story of himself being popular and then relinquishing his crown in order to find something more meaningful than popular success and physical stuff. Yeah. It's a, there's a lot of fun rhymes here. Yeah. A lot of good stuff happening. We get the accurate knowledge of Christ and the father. And I saw the new, the fervor of a new apostate. (laughs) Yeah. They have all the answers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Although he doesn't spend much time, trying to tell you in this song what that accurate knowledge is. So while he is kind of being positioned as, take it from me, I know. Right. He's just saying, if you want to experience eternity, then seek this out. Right. Yeah. Which I thought. Okay, that's fine. Seek it for yourself. Yeah. That's 
Fair. He says, uh, you can't teach a dog new tricks if the tail don't wag. Mm-hmm. But you can't teach a dog new tricks if the tail don't wag. And then he also says, Johnny be well. And I For think Johnny those... Bla- John Blackwell. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a play on Johnny be good. Johnny be well, Frank be. And I think it's kind of... And those kind of go together for me is in the, this is why so often churches have food pantries and yeah. meals and different things. Cause you got to feed the physical needs in order to have the spiritual needs be able to be listened to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Cool. Just other little parts of the song that are fun, like at uh, two minutes and 32 seconds where he's singing the chorus and he's got a fun little falsetto. All right. That happens in the background that I hadn't really noticed before. There's just these little princely touches on on things. He's got a little Jamie Starr voice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is funky, but I wish he'd play stuff like he used to, old scraggly head. You know, this is funky, but I just wish he'd play like he used to, old scraggly head. Some of them. Right. Oh, that was fun. Yes. Yeah. It was also, a little bit of levity. Which, there was, yeah, yeah, there definitely is in the song. It's another party song, maybe even more, I don't know, just danceable and kind of, it's not without the undertones of the album, but maybe a little easier to take in than one plus one plus one is three even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also noticed his little aside comment at two minutes and 56 seconds when he mutters, turn it up, turn it up, which we covered at length, not only as a song, but as even possible, possibly a name of an album at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says that, and then there's a great guitar solo with some matching vocalization going on. That's really great. I know we like to touch on those moments when Prince sings to his own guitar solos mm-hmm. or his own guitar playing. Yeah. He definitely kind of puts down the physical nature of beauty, I guess. Yeah. To a degree, which I thought was admirable in an album like this, where he says, you know, watch that girl in her make-believe world, plastic boobs and clip-on curls, round the pole, see her big butt twirl, uh, electric beaches, skin do bake, vanilla fudge and wedding cake. If you should die before you wake, you got any last requests to make? I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of really fun rhymes and things. Yeah, some of it borders on the meaningless, but yeah. that's okay think, at this yeah. point, too. And then we get also get the narrator's last words. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, yeah, the last we hear from the deep-voiced wise one. And they go like this. From th- this day forward till time's indefinite, those who love Christ are the ones who benefit. All the player's ice melted into one platinum chain, and in a downward spiral, it dripped down the drain. Hmm. At four minutes and 54 seconds, a very Santana-like guitar solo, or the song takes kind of a Latin turn. Mm-hmm. At yeah. one point with uh, piano and guitars, and that's where we get the, uh, you know, this is funky, but mm-hmm. I wish he just play like he used mm-hmm. to. <laughs> you were just pointing out. Yeah. And then we have the final full song. 
Last December, the One Night Alone tour program indicated Mm -hmm. that there would be an album available soon called Last December, but it was never released and the intended contents remain a mystery. Yep. December is the literal end of a calendar year, but is also metaphorically often the end of life. Yeah, we watched at one point a British comedy, right, called May to December. Uh-huh. where Yeah, uh, it was a young woman and an older yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, the young woman being May and the older man being towards the end of his life. Uh-huh. That's what I always think of when I... Uh-huh. Hear this. Yeah. This is not to be confused with the song from Chaos and Disorder named Same December. Right. This is Last December. I think it's really pretty at the beginning and I almost hate to say it, but almost like a purple rainish guitar intro mm-hmm. uh, over a crowd cheering. And if you'll go back and listen to the song revelation from planet earth which was six years seven years after this album came out sounds very similar to revelation and this is another song that i think kind of has multiple movements in it it goes in all kinds of different directions has this very pretty opening and again a lot of questions being asked that are i think i could hear at a contemporary church being used to kind of lead discussion over, let me open your eyes to what you're almost doing unknowingly in everyday life, um, where it's okay to just be average and kind of fit into the crowd and not being a difference maker. And that's the kind of things he's trying to evoke from a listener, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the song, uh, asking questions like, if your last December came, what would you do? Meaning like if you knew that the end of your life was nigh, Yeah. How would you change? Would anybody remember to remember you? Did you stand tall or did you fall? Did you give your all? All questions that, you know, it's easy on a Sunday in March to be sitting around doing yard work thinking, you know, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. But does any of this make a real difference in your life or somebody else's? Mm -hmm. And chances are, probably not. Not really. And now's the time to think about that and consider it, which Mm -hmm. I think is nice. I agree. I liked his thoughts on love, too. Yeah. Did you love somebody but got no love in return? Did you understand the real meaning of love, that it just is and never yearns? Yes. that's a, I had that marked also just as a, if you're upset that you've never been shown love by someone, then you actually aren't acting in love, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me of like loving a child you know when they're little tiny babies they can't love you back yeah i mean they depend on you so maybe they behave in ways that they know will get them what they want be it affection or care or food or whatever but they don't really you love them even though they don't really yeah they're not capable of loving you back not in the same way right they'll do things to show love because they they trust you they you know hide behind you for protection that's the kind of love that a child can give when you're talking about adults who have a, you know, a fully mature mind and you think you have a friend that you've shown love to and they're, you know, just wrapped up in their own world and don't show it back that that's actually uh, not something to be upset about. That's something to be glad that you gave them love. Yes. Period. Yeah. I liked that. Uh, Yeah, I do too. And that's definitely a hard thing to, to do for sure. 
And I even like the chorus, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, we need to come together, come together as one. I think that's a great message for everyone. It's not excluding anyone. It's just saying, you know, in the name of... Yeah, what's good, what is right. The truth. Yeah. Honesty and love. You can disagree about what that truth is, but that doesn't make it less valuable. Yeah, our actions can be valid mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, where the that pinnacle is. Yeah. We talked a little bit about lotus flower earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I labeled as movement two that starts at two minutes and 54 seconds where the song takes this hard rock direction and guitar solo mm-hmm. could be right in the middle of lotus flower and fit right in. Um, and then in like three minutes and 40 seconds, it takes another turn to a much slower and softer instrumental. Again, the lyrics are sort of done at this point, but there are some distorted vocals that go on starting at like Mm -hmm. three minutes and 39 seconds. And you can hear Prince say father. Among other things in the background that are a little indistinguishable or indiscernible that I think is really interesting to look at. Um, And then as we go through these little instrumental changes, it gets faster again at four minutes and 10 seconds. And it's um, got this repeating ahs that um, kind of build up to what I label as movement five from four minutes and 50 seconds to five minutes and 19 seconds, where it's basically the most bouncy and most joyful part of this entire album, Mm -hmm. I thought. But it's all instrumental, no additional, no additional lyrics till we get past what I labeled movement five. <laughs> That's it takes a lot of Metamucil to get to movement five. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends with this final summation of questions, right? This is almost like a parting thought in your life. Did you just give a little, or did you give all that you had? Were you just somewhere in the middle? Not too good, not too bad where he's saying essentially don't be average, be remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it kind of ends with, a plain sound that made me think of International Lover a little bit and some like uh, hailing a taxi sound outside of the airport that kind of reminded me of Lady Cab Driver a little bit. Yes, there's like not city noise, but transportation noise. Yeah, like street like, noise. Yeah, you can of hear some a kind. car door open and shut too. Uh-huh. Yeah. sort of in weird order though you hear the airplane first and then the door opening and closing you would think it would be the other way like i'm like i'm taking off and this album's done he's arriving somewhere yeah he's yeah he's that's what i thought yeah he's arriving he's arrived he's made it to this destination that he's been traveling to right for this whole yes of truth and uh the theocratic order. Mm-hmm. Then it ends in 21 seconds of silence. And then we have more silence. Tracks 15 through 19 yeah. are four seconds of silence each. I tried to see if there was some meaning. You know, there's a silent track in Raven to the Joy Fantastic that's a tribute mm-hmm. uh, to Miles Davis, I think. And here we've got, like you said, one, two, three, four, five, six untitled tracks okay. yes so, they're all four seconds except no, the last yes yeah, so that's, that's eight seconds trying to get there i'm sorry <laughs> so track 20 is eight seconds yeah and then i saw so i was like why 28 seconds of silence 
And I don't understand why track 20 was eight seconds. And why didn't they have two more tracks of four seconds? So I thought maybe there was 21 tracks was required for some reason. So I was trying to figure out, do Jehovah's Witnesses have a special meaning for the number 21? They all win blackjack that way. (laughs) (laughs) 21 doesn't have a particular meaning, but the number two indicates truth. So two witnesses can verify an event and indicate truth that way. And the number one indicates unity. So maybe he was trying to get to 21 to show a desire for truth and unity. That is deep. That is best I could come up with. That is more than I could even imagine to come up with. So uh, that could very well be true. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was, he was trying to get to the number that was, would be the last half of thirty-one twenty-one. I don't know. I Maybe. Don't know either. And then there's the we finish up with the last December reprise. It starts with about twenty six seconds of silence. Right. And then there's thirteen seconds of one repeated just as it was in the last December. I wonder how they labeled it last December reprise. I mean, I realize it's the repeating one part from we need to come together as one, mm-hmm. but it's not in the lyric book, you know, as chapter 21. Right. I guess just because it makes sense. I guess. I have it's no idea. Labeled there. So it is very mysterious and strange how this ends and then has this repeating one, 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 mm-hmm. one at the end. It's all about numerology. And there's a lot of that in Prince's music. Yes. But here it is more confounding than usual. Yeah. And yes. maybe meaningless. Yes. Maybe. maybe meaningless. Maybe. All right. So we're finally at the end of this sprawling, confounding album. Yes. And this is where we make some selections. We choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time at which the material was recorded or when it was released. Right. Those are pretty close in this one. The C, the S-E-A, the low point, the thing that we like the least. And then the mountain, the thing that speaks to us the most. These are my rules. They sure are. So I go first. All right. So the time capsule... To me, it was this really strict religious belief that he's conveying here. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was new to this particular, he wasn't new to religion, but he was new to this particular brand of religion. And, you know, he's very zealous about it. Yeah. And that was, uh, that faded a bit over time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was this album was recorded, what, over 2000, 2001, and then he toured on it into the 2002s. Mm-hmm. So it was a good three year period. This was kind of the centerpiece of his life. And we didn't mention Larry Graham plays bass on a few songs here, too. And he was obviously Prince's mentor and helped him come to this belief and join being becoming a Jehovah's Witness. I do wonder. If there was ever any acceptance of this, or we're proud of this, or we stand behind you on this, or this is just your personal tale, I'm here to play bass on your music. That would be interesting to see. To know, yeah. What's yours? My time capsule is, um, yes, I completely agree with you, obviously, on the, the religious tone of everything. Certainly a 
slice out of Prince's life. They can't be ignored or denied. But I went with something a little more technical, which was the single strategy from this. Completely ignoring radio altogether. There were no radio singles. You couldn't go to a record store and buy a single. Is there anything else that says 2001 more than Napster (laughs) and AOL? Yeah. (laughs) He had had an interesting relationship with AOL from the beginning. He sampled... Uh, the AOL, you've got mail mm-hmm. on emancipation four years earlier and uh, had sort of just, he was in a position to embrace Napster. It cost him nothing. He was making the music anyway. He didn't have a label behind him. So right. an interesting strategy to kind of put his own music out for illegal download mm-hmm. as an olive branch sort of to, you know, people sharing music to uh-huh. say, Hey, I'm still here and pay attention to me. Here's a song, right? which I thought was interesting. So the, Strategy of going online for singles, I think, was a unique one. Very cool. All right, the C, the thing that we like the least. Yeah. So as much as I didn't like how pointed he was at Maite, uh-huh. I'm going to go with something a little more myself, personal, and that is the bouncy, dizzy-making stereo that he used in a lot of these tracks. Okay. I can listen to these better in the car or on a home stereo than I can in headphones. No, that's a shame because it is, it because is a there's great, so many great album things to listen to, to, listen to but yeah. I got to make sure that I'm like in a position where if I'm, I'm either paying attention enough that I can purposely not make myself dizzy or <laughs> yeah. that if I make myself dizzy, I can sit down. <laughs> yes. We don't need to be making calls like, Help, I've listened to the Rainbow Children and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to go to the hospital right now because no. I listen to music and headphones I shouldn't have. Yeah, we need to be going for much better reason than that. So or, I no appreciate that. Be best. Yeah, what's your C? For me, as much as I don't mind distortion on Prince's voice because he does it in great ways on many different albums, here the slowed down, distorted voice I know has been kind of the thorn in the side of most Prince fans who have a problem with this album that, you know, it's referred to as the Darth Vader voice, which I don't Mm -hmm. think is right either. Um, Darth Vader had a deep voice, but his voice wasn't slowed down. And because this, the point of this entire album was Prince trying to make a religious and personal statement, but the distortion of his voice seems like he's hiding behind it a little bit that he's not saying it. And, you know, you want to make this message clear, but even when he's not having to deliver it face to face to anyone, he's got this facade that he's able to hide behind Uh and use to his advantage. And I don't think that's fair. And it also makes it, I don't want to say difficult to listen to, but certainly difficult to understand in many places too, Mm -hmm. which um, is a little, I don't know, disheartening. There is a version of this album that was put out by the NPG vandals, quote unquote, (laughs) where the distortion is removed from Prince's voice and some of the, the songs are edited for clarity's sake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it also mixes in some of the music from news, North, East, West, South is mixed in with some of them. It's really very brilliantly done. And that I found a little more pleasing to listen to from a messaging standpoint, because it's, it's Prince speaking and that, that veil has been lifted. Torah Torah is no longer 
around. So yeah. it's not the only time he's hidden behind things like right. Tora Tora, but he did that more for a, I don't want to appear as Prince on this album because I'm under contract. This was more of a, you know, personal attacks and uh, deep personal beliefs mm-hmm. that came off as a little less courageous than they could have been if it had just been his voice alone. Yeah. All right. Then the mountain, the thing that we like the most. Uh, I really liked everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just the message is hopeful. Yep. It's explicitly about God, but it's not exclusionary. It's more of a testimony than a requirement. Yeah. And that is mm. the kind of evangelism I wish we would have seen more of on this album. Okay. Great call. For me, I mean, there are some great songs on this album. There mm-hmm. are three ballads that I think are beautiful. Muse to the Pharaoh, Mellow, and She Loves Me for Me. And I wanted to try to pick one of them because while they all sound like they fit on this album together, we've talked in the past about how his ballads are like kind of cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And these, there's nothing on this record that sounds like anything else. Right. With exceptions of little like, cool guitar parts that you think, oh, that sounds like Lotus Flower, mm-hmm. but you don't sit here and say, oh, well, when two are in love kind of sounds like Scandalous. And these were on different albums here. These were all like unique approaches to recording that I applaud. And then the same trilogy at the end between one plus one plus one is three and family name. Actually, this is four songs. Everlasting Now and Last December, I think are four great sounding songs. So I sort of narrowed it down to those seven. <laughs> It's real discerning of you, Josh. (laughs) Oh, my mountain is half the album. Yeah. Um, No, but I, in the end, I went with Last December. Okay. um, Because I thought it was the clearest message on the album lyrically, that where it asks those poignant questions, and it's just an encouraging thing to kind of make you see the averageness of your daily life Mm -hmm. and how it's important to open your eyes and make a difference where you can, which I thought was a great way to end this album. Okay. Also, because it goes in all kinds of different directions and different movements and is free from the narrative of the album. It's a nice standalone sure. finisher that, um, you know, when it comes up in shuffle, it doesn't sound like, oh, this is cut from the middle of something else. It's a, it's clearly the Rainbow Children sound because it's yep. got that organic, warm, uh, live sound to it but is free of the troubling aspects of some of the overarching story here. Mm -hmm. Next time. Next time. We're going to continue this one night alone experience with Prince that began with the Rainbow Children. And next up is his one night alone piano album. Okay. That was released on May 14th, 2002. It's very short. It's like 35 minutes. Okay. But some call it Prince's prettiest album. Oh, cool. So it has never seen a commercial release, physical commercial release. You only got it if you're part of the MPG Music Club. Um, It's on streaming services now, though, and um, it's part of the One Night Alone package that hopefully will see the light of day reissued in May. Excellent. 2020. Excellent. So tell us, did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Did, were our thoughts totally off base? Find us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook, 
The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast, or you can send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We know we don't come on the radio, that you make a choice when you listen to us. We so appreciate it. Let us know what you think. Tell a friend, because it's way more fun when you can talk to a friend. And until next time, happy purple listening, friends. Thanks for joining us.